Hello and welcome everybody to another Strange Uncle's Oddities. Uh, this one's kind of a fun one, not really weird, but you know every now and again Josh and I start talking about movies and shows and dumb shit like that just because we like dumb shit like that. So, uh, stumble on some things about uh, movies and things that were portrayed in movies that um, maybe really weren't necessarily uh, correct. So, uh, let's run some of these down, shall we? So writer-director James Cameron's 1997 blockbuster Titanic was a box office smash hit, which it absolutely was, but not everyone enjoyed the historical romance. The family of the first officer, William Murdoch, in particular, had a bone to pick with the way the film depicted him. In the movie, Murdoch accepts his ultimately uh, returns a bribe to the villainous Caledon Hockley, played by Billy Zane, as the desperate passengers try to reach the lifeboats. In the rush that follows, Murdoch guns down third-class passenger Tommy Ryan as he tries to board a lifeboat and then, overcome with grief, takes his own life. The real William McMaster Murdoch was an experienced naval officer from Dalbeedy, Scotland. He oversaw the ship's evacuation on the starboard side and is credited with saving many lives. The exact manner of his demise is much harder to determine. While a few theories exist, it's a mystery that can't really be solved. Murdoch's nephew sought an apology from the studio and actually got one year later the apology, uh, which was it came along for a check with uh, 5,000 uh, British pounds, roughly $8,300 at that time. So, you know, I guess, uh, I guess somebody did come out on the, on the right side of things a little bit. A Beautiful Mind tells a tale of a genius mathematician John Nash's struggle with schizophrenia. It was a critical and a commercial success that scooped four Academy Awards at the 2002 Oscars. The film was an adaptation of Sylvia Nassar's biography on Nash. While certain corners had to be cut for sake of the film's runtime, which happens often, uh, other changes glossed over some uncomfortable details. The casting of Jennifer Colony as Alicia Nash raised some eyebrows as Nash's real-life wife was born in El Salvador. The script also chose to leave out several details about Nash's life that would have made for a, let's say, considerably less sympathetic protagonist. He was actually fired from his position at the Rand Corporation for indecent exposure in 1954. He also fathered an illegitimate child prior to meeting Alicia, had very little contact with the boy, also named John. Nash was scarcely in the eldest son's life whatsoever. To add, Nash's relationship with Alicia uh, was much darker than depicted in the film. A passage in the book describes how at a department picnic in 1956, before they were married, Nash threw Alicia to the ground and placed his foot on her neck to assert his apparent ownership of her. This was Nash's idea of a joke. They got divorced in 1963, although later they lived in the same house again, with Nash referring to himself as Alicia's boarder. Their son, yet another John, also lived with them. It wasn't until the mid-1990s that they rekindled their relationship. As far as that touching final speech of the film's finale, never happened. The couple perished in a car crash in 2015. Moneyball tells a story of how California's Oakland A's put together a winning baseball team on shoestring budgets using clever statistical analysis to identify undervalued players. 
Uh, great film, by the way. Loved uh, love Moneyball. Uh, in the 2011 film, Visionary General Manager Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, and assistant Peter Brand, played by Jonah Hill, overcome a great deal of entrenched opposition to lead the A's to a record-breaking winning run and the playoffs. But that's not really how it went down in real life. The scouts, shown as out-of-touch elderly Camargians in the meetings, actually helped sign some key players who played a major role in the season, a fact that the film carefully omits. Team manager Art Howe, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman in the film, gets it even worse. He's seen as actively and arrogantly resisting the efforts of Bean and Brand to put together a winning formula. Howe's antagonist role in the movie made for a stronger story, but did the real Art Howe a great disservice. He wasn't wholly opposed to Bean's ideas, but did push back on what he called the human element in baseball. While appreciating Bean's eye for a player, the two didn't really mesh, and Howe moved on at the end of the season. More than a decade from the film's release, he reflected on the unfixable damage done to his reputation. Quote, What are you going to do? It's out there. Every movie needs a bad guy. And they decided I was going to be the villain. Oliver Stone's 1991 thriller JFK charts the story of Jim Garrison's, played by Kevin Costner, investigation into the assassination of U.S. President John F. Kennedy. Over the course of the film, Garrison uncovers a massive conspiracy behind the 1963 slain. With dramatic revelations spliced with documentary-style footage and stellar performances from the cast, the movie makes a very convincing case. But... As historians have pointed out, the film is riddled with exaggerations and outright falsehoods. David Ferry's breakdown, who, played by Joe Pesci, and confession never happened, and that the coroner's verdict on his apparently suspicious death wasn't challenged by Garrison. Mr. X's, played by Donald Sutherland, detailed a breakdown of the deliberate systematic failures that led to the assassination was drawn from Report from Iron Mountain a work that Arthur Leonard C. Lewin revealed to be a spoof. The film's success prompted the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992 to declare the records would be released to the public by 2017, 12 years earlier the initial date of 2029. As of 2022, some 5 million pages of records have been released to the public. So we're not really, uh, we're not really right on that, huh? Prior to its release, First Man, the adaptation of Neil Armstrong biography, stirred controversy with its decision not to depict the planting of the American flag on the moon's surface. The film's apparent lack of patriotism led to criticism from reactionary commentators and conservative politicians who hadn't actually viewed it. The flag itself isn't omitted from the movie, and there isn't any lack of American imagery. It's just not the main focus of the story. As an article from The Atlantic points out, the audience spends more time in Armstrong's kitchen than they do in the spacecraft that takes him to the moon. And there's a quote here from uh, another film reviewer, Damien Chazelle. And this is another, this is actually a quote from the director um, of the movie, Damien Chazelle. To address the question of whether this was a political statement, the answer is no. My goal with this movie was to share with audiences the unseen, unknown aspects of America's mission to the moon, particularly Neil Armstrong's personal saga and what he may have been thinking and feeling during those famous few hours. 
I don't know about that one. The vote's out. But, uh, you know, interesting. Interesting nonetheless about these. Uh, man, people watch movies, and uh, sometimes movies are movies. Uh, there's got to be some facts behind them for sure, and I'm sure a lot of things were omitted on thousands of different ones that made the big screen. So, hope you enjoyed that. Stay strange, everyone. <laughs>